0: Good morning. It is a joy to get to worship with you today and to continue on in the series walking through our membership promises. So we've been talking about what it means to be the church and what it means to love our church. How, how do we live uh, in a way that honors God as the people of God together? So if you have a copy of God's Word with you, I invite you to turn to Ephesians. Uh, chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and if you don't there's a copy in the seat back in front of you we love for that to be a gift to you and as you turn there this is kind of a continuation from where we were last week and so if you missed last week you can go back and kinda of read through the notes or if you want to listen to the message you can but we've been walking through our, our practices and then out of that our promises so our practices frame the way that we live together as the church, and then our promises are the commitments we make to one another before Jesus Christ. And so last week we were talking about the call that we have been given as the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, but that's not just a call that's given to the leadership of the church, that we are called to be equipped so we might build one another up into maturity, into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's where we want to jump in together this morning. So we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1, but then we're going to kind of walk through several passages of Scripture this morning. Ephesians 4.1 says this, I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. i to pause there for a second. The, the word that I want to draw out from this verse is that word walk. It is continual action. It is a living out. So he's not just saying, I pray that you would positionally be worthy of the calling to which you've been called. We know that in Christ, we are that. Not because of our effort, but because of Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection in our place. But now what Paul is saying is, I I urge you as the church, the people of God, to walk, to live in such a way that magnifies the worth of Jesus Christ. That we as God's people, we get to do that. There's a way that we live out the gospel alongside one another. And so let's just jump down to verse eleven. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So how do we learn how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Well, we have to be equipped. God has made the body in such a way that He's given gifts to leaders and gifts to individuals to equip the saints so that we might walk in a manner worthy of His calling. What is that for? Equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So we are called to be built up so that we can invest in one another and help one another. Why? Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. So why has God equipped the saints? He's equipped the saints so that we might build one another up, so that we might grow up, and we talked about this last week, grow up into maturity to become like Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible open, let's go on to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, in light of everything that has been said... Be imitators of God as beloved children. So he introduces family language. That we're not just a part of the church. We're not just a part of God's people. We are part of God's family. And here's that same word. And walk, live out, pursue, walk in love. How? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now I want to jump to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And So as we're going through these passages of scriptures, you might be sitting there kind of reading along and thinking, what do these passages have to do with one another? So we're talking about, Walking in a manner worthy of the calling. We're talking about equipping saints for the work of the ministry. We're talking about walking in love as Jesus first loved us. And then we go to chapter 6 and it starts talking about fathers and parents and family and bringing up our children in the Lord. And, and here's what I want us to do this morning. I, I want you to kind of see and wrestle with along with me uh, how the gospel intersects our everyday life. How equipping the saints isn't just something for the church. The work of ministry isn't just something that happens here on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. This is really important. The work of ministry is meant to happen every day. In all of life. Like This equipping that, that we come and that we are invested in by the church is meant to overflow into our daily lives. Even into our parenting. And so when we talk about equipping the saints, equipping the saints is not just something that happens at church on a Sunday morning. Equipping the saints is something that affects the way we live in all of life. And and what we could do this morning that I don't want to do is we could just go straight to the passage on family, straight to the passage on parenting, straight to the passage on children, what those things mean. But I'm afraid if we do that, we miss the larger context. And here's the larger context, that what we believe and how we live as the church influences the way we live at home. It shapes our everyday life. And this is the way the Apostle Paul writes the book of Ephesians. He starts in Ephesians 1 through 4 laying a foundation. Ephesians 1, who we are in Christ. In Ephesians 2, talking about the gospel. Then in Ephesians 2, he shifts from the gospel to what does it mean to be part of the family of God. Again. Just like we talk about our principles, this is the foundation that we exist for the glory of God. This is who we are in Christ. And then he shifts from foundation to their practice as a people. That's what we looked at last week. In Ephesians 4, this equipping the saints for the work of ministry so that we might build one another up in love. This is what God's people do together corporately when they come together. And then the way Paul ends this letter, and this is where we'll spend a lot of our time this morning, is in the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6, Paul says, okay, in light of who you are in Christ and how you live as the church, walk in love. Love one another. Let the gospel encounter and interact and intersect every single aspect of your life. And if we try to just go to the practical doing the gospel, just trying to living out in our own effort apart from that foundation, apart from the church, we will be exercising futility. You might say, okay, I'm having trouble tracking with me. Let me give you an example. Here's the metaphor that helps me. When I think about our principles, our practices, our promises as a church, and I think the way that the Apostle Paul frames this letter that we're reading, it helps me to think about a house, So at our home, we live pretty close to here, there's a big subdivision that's being built across from our house. So uh, we used to live on a one-lane road, thankfully now it has a little bit wider space in it. So if you've not been to our house in a while, you can actually pass another car on it, which is kind of nice. But there's all this construction going on. And when you look at these new houses that are going up, there's some things that are really similar about all those houses. One thing that is the same is that they all have a foundation. Like a house without a foundation is not a good house, right? Like there needs to be a foundation. Below the ground there's concrete and there's cinder block and everything's going to get built on that foundation. For us as a church, our foundation are our principles. God's glory, gospel sufficiency, biblical authority, the church. Those are the things that we rest upon. Those are the things that this body is built on. You take those away and everything begins to crumble. Everything begins to fall apart. Same thing for our lives. Our lives have to be built on God's glory and gospel sufficiency and biblical authority. These are the anchors for us as a people. But thankfully, a home is not just a concrete foundation, right? There's so much more to it than that. And as these houses are getting built across our street, there's walls, there's a frame that's going up. There's walls and a roof. And that frame is our practices. It is the way we live together, the thing that unifies us as a people. And we've been talking about how that's abiding in Christ, gathering the worship, equipping the saints. Next week we're going to talk about go, make disciples. It frames the way we live as the people of God. But here's what I want you to think about. A house can have a great foundation, and it can have solid walls, it can have trussing, it can have framing, it can have a roof on it so the rain can't come in. But what really makes a house feel like a home is what goes on the inside, right? The decor and the people and the environment, what brings it to life. It needs the structure, it needs the foundation, everything rests on that, everything's built around that, but what makes it come to life is the people who live in it. And that's our membership promises. That's you and that's me. That's our commitment to one another. That's the pursuit of each other. That's what makes the church build itself up in love. Not just a structure, but us following God together. Us walking in obedience together. Us sacrificing for one another, for the glory of God together. And so the practical living out of those promises rests on the foundation of the gospel... It's framed by the way we live as the church. But here's what I want you to think about. It requires your engagement and my engagement. It requires us pursuing one another, loving one another, living in light of the gospel. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about and calling us to this morning. And so the big truth today is the same for last week. That the church is called to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and again Ephesians 4 11 through 12 says this, and he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, this is the key part, for the building up of the body of Christ. The goal is that we would grow up, we talked about that last week. The warning is that we wouldn't grow up, that we would chase other things. The encouragement, the opportunity is we get to grow up, we can grow in Christ, but here's the key part. The way we grow in Christ is we grow together. We need one another. We need the body. And we need the equipping of the saints to live out the ministry for what we've been called. So last week we talked about what is the work of ministry. We talked about what is this building up and why does it matter and how do we engage with it. Here's what we're going to talk about this morning as we walk through this text together. How does the work of ministry... Last week we said the work of ministry is not the calling of pastors or elders or church leaders. The people who are called to do the work of ministry is who? The saints, us, the church, God's people. You are called to do the work of ministry. I am called to do the work of ministry. And so here's the question for us this morning. And This is what the Apostle Paul is unpacking for the church at Ephesus and for us. How does the work of ministry intersect into your everyday life? How does the work of ministry change the way you live at work, at home, at school? What does the work of ministry have to do with your daily life and my daily life? Why do we need to be equipped for that work? And so what I want to do is we're just going to kind of walk through this text together and there's four ideas I just want to kind of call our attention to, four implications of this truth that the Apostle Paul unpacks as he goes through these parts in his letter. And the first one is this. So what is the work of ministry? How does it impact our everyday life? First big idea, the work of ministry is the result of new life in Jesus. So in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, he says we are called to be equipped for the work of ministry, the building up of one another into maturity of Jesus Christ. So what is this work of ministry? How does it come about in our lives? Well, the first thing we have to know, we have to see is that the work of ministry is the result of new life in Christ. The work of ministry, and this is important, in your life and my life is not a result of self-effort. It's not a result of going to church, religious affiliation, The work of ministry is not a result of just really good moral pursuit, like you're going to become a better person, I'm going to become a better person, we're going to do harder and be better as people. No, the work of ministry, this is important, is only possible through the saving work of Jesus Christ. Your life, your vocation, your family will only be lived for the gospel of Jesus if Jesus has made you new. It doesn't happen any other way than that. And Paul lays that out for us in verses 17 through 24. I just want to read them for us if you have your Bible still open. He says this Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the hardness of their heart. They've become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity this is important, but that is not the way you learned Christ. That's equipping language. You have learned Christ. You've been equipped with the gospel. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To do what? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. What's Paul saying? That the work of ministry that changes your life, that changes the way that you lead your family, that changes the way that you lead and serve at your job, begins with being made new in Jesus Christ. If there is no new life in Christ, you will not live out the gospel where God has called you to live. When Jesus intersects a human heart, he doesn't just make you a better version of yourself. He takes you from death to life in Jesus Christ. Have you ever been made new? Not not do you believe that the Bible is real or do you go to church or have you grown up in church or have you made a profession of faith? Have you ever been made new by Jesus? A new way of thinking, a new heart, new desires, a new love for Christ. Has that ever happened to you? And friend, if you're here this morning, and I, I don't know what brought you here in this room, but I can't imagine that there aren't some people this morning that maybe you've grown up around church, maybe you've grown up around religion, maybe you have known nothing about Christianity, but Christ has never made you new. This morning, my, my urge to you, my plea to you this morning would be turn to Jesus. He died to save you. He died to give you the new life. He rose from the dead so that you might have new life in Christ. And for some of you, you you've come in this morning and you're like, I, I want a better family and I want to be a better boss. I want to be a better coworker. I, I, I want to live differently. I want to change. There is no change unless Jesus begins that change in you. Turn to Him. Trust in Him. The work of ministry begins And is the result of new life in Jesus. So Paul builds on that foundation. Apart from new life in Christ, there will be no work of ministry that impacts our daily life. But a second big idea that's so important this morning that we need to see from this passage is this. That the work of ministry begins among the family of God. So the work of ministry is the result of new life in Christ. It starts with being made new in Jesus. But the way we live out this new life in Jesus is among God's people. The work of ministry begins among the family of God. Look at verse 25 of chapter 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth as his neighbor. And listen to this, it's so important. For we are members of one another. We are members of one another. What does that mean? We are connected to each other, we are part of the same body. Let me say it another way, you cannot live a life that is honoring and pleasing to Jesus apart from the local church, apart from God's people, that we were not made to be self-sufficient, we were not made to be independent. Even in Jesus' teaching about abiding in John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the Branches, plural. We are connected to one another. We are called to bear fruit together. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 speaks to how some of us, uh, one body has many members. We are all connected to one another. You and I will not be able to live out the gospel in our lives apart from our belonging to one another. And he chases this into chapter 5, starting in verse 1 and 2. We read this earlier. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We are not only members of one another, we are a part of the same family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We need one another under one Father. And how are we to live? We walk in love among one another as Christ loved us, plural, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice for God the work of ministry overflows I'm sorry, the work of ministry begins among the family of God here's the point, here's why it's important for us to note this I think one of the temptations that we are encountering in our culture today and one of the messages that's being shared a lot across kind of Christian subculture is that you can live your life and honor God and become all that God wants you to be apart from God's people. And that's a lie. If you want to become a Jesus follower who loves God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you want to become a father or mother who leads and loves your children well, if you want to become a husband and wife who pursue a godly marriage and whose foundation is built on the gospel, it happens in the context of these people. We need one another. And so the progression of this letter is God has given the church. And it is when the context of the church that we are equipped And as we are equipped, we have new life in Christ. And that new life of Christ plays out in the way that we love one another. And these are some of the things that happen to us as we pursue one another. I wish we had time just to read through all of Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5. We don't. But you can go back and study it on your own. Here's some of the things that Paul says happen when God's people love one another well and pursue one another well. He tells us as as you read through this passage that We live in truth instead of lies. We learn to let go of anger and bitterness. We learn how to work and labor hard. We learn how to speak words of grace that are life-giving instead of life-taking. It is within the context of the body we learn how to be tender-hearted, forgiving to imitate God, to walk in love, to put sin to death, to know God's will, to live in light of God's will, to grow in contentment and thanksgiving, to learn how to practice mutual submission. All of that happens within the context of the church. And I think for many of us, if we're not careful, we will try to follow God apart from God's people. We need one another. So the work of ministry is a result of new life. The work of ministry begins among the family of God so now let's begin to break that into our everyday life. third big idea is this. The work of ministry overflows from the family of faith into the family at home. The work of ministry overflows from the family of faith into the family at home. So when we have new life in Christ and we're living out these new life realities among God's people that new life reality begins to spill into the way that we live at home, live among our family, live within the context of our marriage and from Ephesians 5 23 to 6 4 Paul addresses the family that the gospel has changed you and the gospel is changing you among God's people, this is important, the gospel will change your home. The gospel can change your home but not only gospel can change your home, the gospel will change your home. It's good news for us this morning. So in this passage of Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 4, Paul speaks to the way that the gospel ministry affects the family. Let me just highlight four ways very quickly. And again, you can find all of this in the notes if you want to go back and and dig it out here in Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 4. He speaks to four relationships. He speaks to wives. He speaks to husbands. He speaks to children, to their parents, and then he speaks to parents, their children. And we see in this passage four things. First, wives are called to model the gospel through submission. As they submit to their husbands, they are ultimately submitting to the Lord. The gospel changes the way, wives, that you view your husband. The way that you respond to your husband because of God. God. But then he speaks to husbands. Husbands are called to model the gospel through sacrificial love, leading in the truth, and the pursuit of holiness. Husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so if you've experienced new life and you're growing up in the church, husbands, the gospel should change the way you view your spouse. But then chapter 6, verse 1, he says not only does the gospel affects the way we live in marriage, but gospel affects the way that children view their parents. Children are called to model the gospel through obedience and honor, to obey their parents, show them honor. If you're a kid in the room, a teenager in the room, this is important. One of the main ways that you live out the love of God is by honoring and obeying your parents. Parents, that was a really good place for an amen, okay? He's trying to like set you up, help you out this morning. One of the main ways the gospel plays itself out in your life, if you are a Jesus follower, you're in elementary school, you're in middle school, you're in high school, it's the way that you honor and obey your parents. That's how you know the gospel's changing you, it's the way that it changes the way you talk to your mom and dad. But not only has the gospel changed the way that parents or children interact with parents, but it says that the gospel changed the way that parents interact with children. Parents are called to model the gospel through equipping their children to know, love, and follow Jesus. You might say, okay, this is kind of a a long way around to this point, but I want you to see the connection. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry... That work of ministry that plays itself out in everyday life, it starts with Jesus. It gets fleshed out in the context of the church, our life alongside of one another. It then intersects and overflows into the home, it overflows into marriage, and it overflows into parent-child dynamics. Which leads to the last big idea that I want to spend a few minutes talking about this morning, which is this. One specific work of ministry given to parents... Is the privilege and responsibility of being the primary disciple makers of their children? I'll say it again one specific work of ministry given to parents is the privilege and responsibility of being the primary disciple makers of their children. I want to speak to the mothers and fathers in the room for a moment. And I know for some of you in this room, you long to be a mother or father and maybe God's not allowed that to happen or if you've walked through the losses of parents so sometimes speaking to parents can be painful or hard. We understand that. Grieve with you in that. But parents, grandparents, listen to me. One of the primary ways you live out the gospel is in the way that you disciple your children. The way you help them know, love, love, Follow God. Look at Ephesians 6 verse 4. Fathers, when he's speaking to fathers, that's not pushing mothers out, just fathers lead the way. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but listen to this. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. See, one of the primary places where the gospel intersects everyday life is through the family. That's why equip the family is such an important practice for us as a church. And it frames our membership promises. Let me just, we'll put the membership promises up on the screen. This is part of the commitment we make to one another. The family is such an integral part of what it means to be a Jesus follower. It frames our commitment to one another before the Lord. Our membership promises say this, we promise to value and prioritize the family as the first place of faithful ministry for every Jesus follower to resource, encourage and partner with families for gospel advancement and spiritual growth. This church commits to you, if you are a parent or grandparent, we're gonna lock arms with you and help you live out the gospel at home. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the work of the ministry gets played out. It's the way that you love and lead and invest in the spiritual growth of your children and your grandchildren. And then we as members make this promise to one another. I promise to value my family as the first place of faithful ministry. To be committed to the discipleship of my family in partnership with the family of faith. So you're saying as a parent or as a grandparent, I'm all in, I am present, I'm not going to abdicate this responsibility that God has given to me alongside my church family. I'm going to make it my primary effort to daily be invested in the lives of my sons and my daughters to help train them up to know and love and follow Jesus. See, gospel ministry a lot of times for us is something that we kind of frame in our heads as something that happens at church on Sunday, on Wednesday night, in your group. No, gospel ministry happens at home. It frames the way that we love our kids. It frames the way that we pursue one another. So how do we equip our families to love and follow Jesus? how do we help our children for some of you, you've got really little children like you're in that preschool phase and you're just trying to survive and get a little sleep at night and keep them alive and everything's kinda crazy you get to start setting some strategy and some directions some rhythms and habits right now even if your children don't understand the truths of the gospel and in early elementary and late preschool and early elementary your children begin to learn and memorize truths about God in late elementary and in middle school and high school they begin to experience and hear the gospel and own their own faith and we get to help them do that so how do you do that what does that look like practically let me just give you five thoughts just from this verse Ephesians 6 4 really quick really practical how do we begin how do we begin living out the gospel at home first uh, thing is this family discipleship begins with fathers Family discipleship begins with fathers. Again, chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This doesn't negate the role of the mom. Mothers are supposed to lead spiritually throughout Scripture. It talks about both parents investing in children. You can read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul speaks to the role of Timothy's mother and grandmother in his spiritual formation. So he's not saying that moms aren't involved. But let me speak to the dads for a moment. If you're a father in the room, look up at me. You are called to lead your children in the fear and destruction of the Lord starts with you it's your calling it's not something we give to our spouse it's not something that we give away to the church God has called you as the father of your children to teach them the ways of God to pursue Jesus to model the way for them I'll speak to the moms for a minute moms don't get in the way of that Encourage that. Don't try to control that or usurp that. Or you might be a mother in the room and say, well, I, I don't have a husband, or my husband's an unbeliever, he's not engaged. Pray for your husband. Let the church body come alongside your family. Let other members in the church encourage and help. But fathers, lead the way. Dads, we need the lead by example. And going back to the verse we already read, Ephesians 5.1, our ultimate example is God. He says, therefore, be imitators of God, and it's a family analogy. As beloved children, dads, children like to imitate their fathers. Be a father who's not perfect, but be a father that they can imitate your pursuit of Jesus. Your pursuit of the word, your love for Christ, your love for the church. Your investment. Be a father who is a model. Family discipleship begins with fathers. Secondly, we see in this verse that family discipleship is first and foremost about the heart, not behavior. It's about the heart, not behavior. Look again, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. What's he talking about? He's talking about the heart. That as a parent, it's easy if we're not careful to just instruct and discipline for behavior. We just want our kids to do the right thing. We just want our kids to obey. And he's saying, no, it's first and foremost about their heart. It's about shaping who they're becoming in Christ. And the word that's really important here is is the word to bring them up. In fact, Paul's already used this word. He used it in verse 29, talking about husbands and wives. It's the same word in the Greek that means to nourish. So when he says, husbands, nourish your wives, that's the same word that he's using. We are to nourish, to care for, to care for the heart, the soul of our kids. It's Not just be harsh with them and be dismissive of them. And I'll just pause for a second. As a dad, it's easy for me just to get impatient and be frustrated and just to tell my kids what to do instead of shaping their heart. That happens all the time. And in those moments, I have to repent kids forgive me, Katie forgive me, I'm not loving you well, I'm not being patient with you, I'm not modeling the love of the Father, would you forgive me? We bring them up, we nourish and care for our children by abiding in Jesus. We do that by setting an example for them, not a perfect example, But an example of pursuit, an example of repentance when we need to repent. An example of loving the word in front of our kids. To read the word, to pray with them, in front of them. When they come down in the morning, they would see mom and dad pursuing Jesus first and foremost. They would see mom and dad gathering their children around God's word, treasuring God's word, trying to walk in the truth of God's word. To nourish, to care for their heart, to disciple who they're becoming on the soul level. So, family discipleship it begins with fathers. Family discipleship is about the heart, not behavior. Third, family discipleship requires discipline. Discipline. Again, look at verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. If we're going to help our children grow up to be men and women of faith it requires discipline. What does the word discipline mean? It really means two different things in the original language. The first is it means to train. To train. So think about an athlete. Any athlete who wants to be really good at their sport has to commit to discipline. That's why the Tennessee football team struggles so much all the time. Just kidding. Discipline, hard work, Effort, practice, beating your body, conditioning. There's a discipline that comes to being effective, to being healthy, to being intentional, to winning a race. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about an athlete beating their body, not running against the wind, but training their body up so they may not be disqualified. Moms, dads, if you're going to help your children love and know and follow God, it requires discipline not random chance not just taking them to church and hoping for the best you need a strategy you need intentionality you need a plan you need to be invested in them there needs to be training involved and one of the things I love about our church families over the last eight years we've been working on building a strategy to help you called the family discipleship plan And so one of the ways that you can be disciplined in your pursuit of Jesus with your preschooler, with your elementary age child, with your middle schooler, with your high schooler is through, we call it the FDP for short, the Family Discipleship Plan. It's a weekly strategy. One truth every week for your sons, for your daughters, not just for them but for you to get your heart and mind in the word, to start conversations, to have family devotions and worship with them, to have uh, workouts where you can come alongside of them and their spiritual growth and that's available for you every single week and our kids ministry and student ministry are built around the family discipleship plan so it sets you up to win at the home and you can engage in that, you can pursue that and let's just be honest, Before COVID, a lot of us had some disciplines, we had some routines, we had things built in to help us and then kind of through COVID, a lot of those structures and those routines, those disciplines have fallen by the wayside. It's time for some of us to step back into a strategy step back into a plan. If you're here this morning and you have a discipleship strategy, you have a plan other than the FDP. that's okay. If that's helping your children love and follow Jesus and you're doing it every week and pursuing alongside of them, keep doing that. But if you're here this morning and you don't have a strategy, you don't have a plan, you don't have a way to train them toward godliness, come alongside what your church family is doing. The family discipleship plan, one of the cool things that's happened is we've actually just built a website. Over the past year, and I think we have a a slide for it, you can check it out later today or you can stop by the kiosk outside and and you can go and everything for you is really easy to access uh, and you can get it every single day. And it's now something that's beyond our church. Do you have a plan? Do you have a strategy? Do you have something for this week that you're working toward? It requires discipline. But this word discipline not only means training, it also means correction. That's important. Parents, look at me for a minute. Correction is not a bad thing. We need to correct our children when they sin. We need to correct our children when they disobey. Hebrews 12 speaks to the way that God disciplines us as His children. He breaks to bind up. He disciplines us so that we might walk in the way. And so when Apostle Paul says that discipline is supposed to be a part of your life, there's a training element to that, but there's also a corrective element to that. Not to just punish our children to get back at them for doing something wrong. No, to help them grow, to set a right trajectory, to set a right path. So family discipleship requires discipline. We're almost done. fourth family discipleship requires instruction. Instruction. And in instruction, in, in the original language, it really means two things. One is good counsel. So sound doctrine, sound counsel. The word of truth, that means holding out the truth for our kids to see, to learn, to memorize, to follow, to walk in at every stage of their life. But instruction also means warning. Parents, we live in a world full of lies. Amen. And those lies are being fed to our children every single day. Social media, news, TV, school, false ideologies that are constantly discipling our children, entering into their hearts and our minds. Your teenagers, your sons, your daughters. We must give them the truth, but we also must warn them of lies. The book of Proverbs, for the most part, is a father speaking to a son. And a lot of those words, a lot of those Proverbs are warnings. Beware, be warned. Guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. One of the ways we disciple our children, parents, is by holding out the truth, but also by exposing lies. Which to bring us full circle is why we need as parents to be equipped. We need the body of Christ. We need to be invested in. We need to learn the truth so that we might build up our children to love and follow Jesus. Which leads to a final thought this morning. Family discipleship is ultimately a pursuit of God. It's ultimately and always a pursuit of God. Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of who? The Lord. The Lord. Family discipleship is always about God, helping our children know and love and follow God. Parents, if you could have one hope for your children and that one hope could come true what would it be? like if you could dictate one thing for their life if you could make one thing come about if there was something you wanted most for your children what would it be? it's my own personal devotion I'll invite the team to come up we're, we're wrapping up a couple weeks ago I was reading through 3rd John and John answers this question he uses it as metaphor but it just So I was reading through it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks as a parent. 3 John 4 says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Listen to that. No greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Parents, what's the greatest joy that you would have for your children today? Our church wants to be a body that helps equip you for the work of the ministry that begins at home. To help you help your children find their joy in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, as we we come to a time of response, we ask that the gospel. The work of ministry would not just be something that happens on a Sunday morning or in a class or in a group. We pray that the work of ministry would be pressed out in our lives. Specifically ask that it be pressed out in our homes, in our families. Lord, I pray for the teenagers, the children in this room, and the families that are connected to them. We pray that they grow up to know you love you, pursue you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, I pray for the parents and the grandparents in this room that you'd encourage their heart in the gospel, that you'd give them a resolve to live out the gospel at home and to be equipped for that good work. God, we need you and we need one another. Help us. Lord, we feel our inadequacy when it comes to helping our children know and love you. And we know that we ultimately can't do that. That has to be your work in them. But you've called us to that task, so please help us. So we come here as the church this morning saying we need you. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.